complex thing. You do it one heavy, frame at a time. Very yeah. heavy. Uh, so he goes to local photographers in Rochester, New York, and one of them, George B. Selden, was not only a photographer, but a patent clerk. And he was okay. getting photography lessons from these people, but also learning about patenting. And that's where he gets this idea that he wants to patent his plate that will be easier than all the rest. He starts trying to have people invest in his business right away. That's not even a business, by the way. It's a patent <laughs> and it's a machine. And George Eastman's like, I'm ready, I'm in. I want people to invest in me. Yeah, so, a little carriage before the horse, right? Oh yeah, like his whole life is like that. He's so eager and he's just always thinking about the next step. So he goes to a friend and he asks that friend if he'll invest and his friend says, whoa, bud, you have no proof of concept. Why don't you show me that this thing can actually work? Make your own factory. Like, sell it on your own first, and then I'll think about investing. So he buys a space above a music school in Rochester. He sets up his own little factory. He's coding plates on his own and selling them to the local photographers, and it works. He's actually making a business. Um, he's still working as a bookkeeper for the Rochester Savings Bank and making $1,400 a year, which is like twice what the average person is making. So all this is his side hustle? George Eastman, Tony, not a slacker. No. But the whole thing's working out, manufacturing plates, so he expands the space to the next two floors of the building. Uh, he hires like six employees, several women, which is really progressive, including his cousin, Eliza Tompkins, who is the head of the laboratory. She's doing chemistry and things and she was the highest paid employee, and he left her in charge of a lot of things. The company was profitable, but an employee later revealed that his machine was not actually effective. So this whole machine that he patented, the whole idea that he's selling, it doesn't really work. It's unreliable, there's bubbling on the plates when they're trying to code it, the machine keeps breaking down and they have to service it. And Classic tech startup problems. Yeah, and they end up just like hand coding a lot of the plates uh -huh. because it's more reliable. Yeah. So I bring this up to you, Tony, because this is a, an early example of George Eastman's ability to market. He knows he doesn't actually need the machine to work reliably. It's the idea of the machine and it's the idea that his company is like forward thinking and making things faster for photographers. Okay, so we've established that he's good at marketing and probably good at sales too. In comes Henry Strong. Henry Strong, Tony. He is a Navy paymaster and he owns a whip business. Like, whoosh, a whip. Okay, because people ride horses and stuff. Yeah, he's very rich, but he likes to gamble and he likes to take risks. Okay. He meets someone that knows Eastman in Las Vegas, and they tell him about Eastman. And so he hooks up with him, he likes Eastman, he likes his vision, he thinks he's a smart, driven kid, which of course he is, like he's very impressive, right? And he puts $1,000 into George Eastman to start a business, and then over the year he puts 5,000 in total, um, and they name it the Eastman Dry Plate Company. Strong is the president, and Eastman is the treasurer still keeping track of that money. Mm -hmm. Then in 1881, George Eastman's superior left the bank that he's working at, Rochester Savings, and something really interesting happens. This is where I think things really take a turn. George Eastman is next in line for that position, and they pass him over for the nephew of a director at the bank. And not only is George Eastman upset about it, but other people at the bank say, this is outrageous, this is blatantly nepotism, this is completely unfair, George Eastman deserves that position, and they passed him over for this nephew, has no right being there. So what does George Eastman do? 
Well, he sends fingers flying, Tony. <laughs> he pieces out. He says, forget you guys. I'm leaving the job. And everyone's shocked. What is he leaving the job for? This dry plate company that everyone thinks is crazy. They said, what is he doing? He's, he's leaving this solid job where he's making a ton of money and he's important at the bank to this like pie in the sky dream of running this business. It's crazy. Yeah, this is the entrepreneur's dilemma, like giving up that stable income so you could put all your energy into a new business. It seems like it worked out for him. Did it? Because you know what happens next? What happens next? All of his customers come to him and they're like, your plates are fogging up. What's going on? Your plates aren't reliable anymore. They're faulty. There's problems. And so he goes into his factory and he's trying to figure it out. He's tinkering with everything. He's changing the chemicals. He's drying things differently. He's trying all different processes. He thinks there might be dust. He can't figure out why they're fogging. And 469 attempts later, he still hasn't solved the problem. So he packs up his crap. 469 attempts. This is a very precise number. I know that this number must be true because he kept journals and journals and journals of every little change oh. because he had scientific method even though he wasn't like truly a scientist, you know what I mean? He packs up his stuff and he goes back to England to Mawson and Swan and within a week they solve the problem. The problem is the gelatin that he was initially using to do the plates, like the source of the gelatin changed and nobody told him. So he went back to the original source and the problem was solved. Uh, he opened back up his company and he reduced the price of his plates by 25 cents to get his customers back. That's the early founding story of George Eastman. So in 1881, the Eastman Dry Plate Company is officially founded. In 1885,